Hey, everybody. I'm Jen Garrett, internationally recognized branding consultant and best-selling author of the books, Move the Ball and Dominate the Game. By having a relentless mentality, I've pushed boundaries and gotten into rooms with pro athletes and power players, built a successful business, and moved the ball in male-dominated industries. Now, I'm using my same of the ball methodology to help thousands of people dominate their game when it comes to their brands and creating opportunities. This podcast is all about uncovering strategies of the world's best athletes and business leaders to help you get to that next level. Join me in conversations that will elevate your hustle and get you across the goal line. It's time to suit up, to show up, and to move the ball. Hey, thanks so much for joining me today. Real quickly, if you haven't already done so, be sure that you follow the podcast so that you never miss an episode. For today's show, I've got a great guest with us, someone who has moved the ball in many different ways. Nathan Whitaker has been a New York Times bestselling author many times over, and he has gotten to write several books with incredible human beings recognized as true leaders and influencers, such as Tony Dungy, Tim Tebow, and James Brown. On the show, we talk about Nathan getting to work with these guys, as well as his experience working for multiple NFL teams, including being in the front office with the Tampa Bay Bucks when they won their Super Bowl during the 2002 season. On the show, we also discuss tips on navigating your career, including the importance of owning your role. Nathan shares such great advice, so make sure you pay special attention. You ready? Let's go. Nathan, it is so great to have you here with us inside the huddle. How are you today? Jen, I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation. We've got a lot of things in common that we'll talk about. But first, the real question is, are you ready to move the ball? (laughs) I am. Let's see what we can do. You and I have both been in the sports space. We both do a lot of talks in organizations, teams, corporations, nonprofits, that kind of thing. You also are a very accomplished author writing many, many New York Times bestsellers. So, I mean, there's so many things that I'm really looking forward to us diving into today. So where I want to start our journey is let's talk about the books. You have been able to work with some incredible high performers in the professional football space. You were also in the front office with the Tampa Bay Bucks. Tell us, what was that like? Your first book with Tony Dungy, what was that like? How did you guys come up with the title? Like, walk us through that journey. My first year was Tony's last year. And Tony tells everybody that we worked together two years. And I have to remind him it was one really, really, really long year. And so that was Tony's last year. He was let go. And I was really distraught. I spent three years with the Jaguars before that. Great organization. I really love the people, but I just loved being around Tony and his presence. And then I was fired. And so the question was, what do we do? And I had friends go to the Seahawks and the Bears and the Falcons and I'm a Florida kid and spent all the most of my life in Florida and go off to college and law school. And, and I really didn't want to move again. So I hatched this idea that Tony could write a book and help people. And it took me three years to talk him into it. He said, I don't have anything to share. And even if I did, nobody wants to hear it. it took me three years to talk him into it. And finally, he agreed to do it. His son had passed away and then he'd won the Super Bowl. And so he thought maybe there was more of an audience and maybe he had things to share. And so we wrote it crash. 24-day process of writing the book. And I went up to the mountains in North Carolina to work on it in a cabin up there. And I would send it to him every night. And Tony's mom had taught English for 20 years. So he would line through everything and change things. And and in the middle of the process, the publisher said, what are we going to call it? And we were 
hemming and hawing and couldn't come up with anything. And finally, somebody came up with Quiet Strength. And it just made so much sense as far as the way Tony comports himself. He knows what he knows. And here's how I'm going to handle myself. And here's what I'm going to do. But also just in a very understated way. And one of the things that he wanted to have come across or that I wanted to have come across as well in this is that we're not all wired the same way. And so people want football coaches to act a certain way or CEOs to act a certain way. And Tony's a great model for we're not all like that. And it's okay to be different and we can still achieve a lot, even if we have different personalities. Well, I love the title. The reason why I wanted to ask you how that came to be is that's kind of an important piece of a product, whether it is a book or it's something else is what are you going to call the dang thing, right? And I do, well, as you know, I do a lot of branding consulting. And so are you writing something that's going to catch with your audience? It's going to be interesting and different as well, because you are trying to sell. Now, obviously, Tony Dungy is a great leader, great individual. And so people know who he is. So even if it was a different title, I'm sure he would have captivated audiences just because of who he is. But naming something can be challenging. I mean, even with my own books, it's like, okay, what do I call this one? My listeners know that I released my second book, Dominate the Game, last year. And so I went through a whole slew of different possibilities, right? It's like, eh, nope, not that one. Or, oh, this one's already used. And so you have to also check and see, well, what's out there? As you're writing new books, I'm sure you've thought about, you know, has someone else come up with this title or something similar? So it's always interesting to hear how people come up with names for different books. And as someone who has been a very successful author and who has not only moved the ball, but dominated the game in that space. Space. What are some of the things that you think have really attributed to your success writing so many great books? Well, as much as I would love to take credit, I have been surrounded by some terrific people, not only high achievers, but really thoughtful people. And so being able to do a number of books with Tony has been great. James Brown of CBS Sports is just a cherished friend and a really neat person. And so being able to work with him and then being able to work with Tim Tebow as he was starting his professional journey with the Denver Broncos. And being able to work with him was really a special process and a neat thing to be a part of. And so as much as I'd like to take credit, hopefully we turned out some decent projects, but along the way, just some really neat people with some really thoughtful things to say. And as you look back on the journey of working with these incredible people, what are some of the things you've appreciated most about being able to write books with them? Tony's ability to go in and dig in and really make it better. Halfway through the process, we were scrambling and here, this is my first book and he was writing HW. And so I was thinking I should know from my days as an English major what that means, And I, but I've never been a journalist. I've never been in the editorial process. So I'm trying to, the whole time trying to pretend I know how to write a book. And so finally I said to Tony, all right, I hate to admit this, but what's HW? And he said, oh, those are just when I think you've put in a Harvard word and I need you to make it a University of Minnesota word so that, that I would say. And so we shared a laugh over that. But as I pointed out to Tony, he's actually got a better vocabulary than I do. So his University of Minnesota words were just fine. But then working with James Brown, he actually did go to Harvard and he was putting in words I'd never heard of. So that was a totally different process. And then with Tim, we had an unusual situation where Tim is dyslexic. And he talked in the book about dealing with that and getting through college and dealing with some of that. And so the editorial process was totally different with Tim where we went through it together and figured it out. And, and so anyway, at some point you're afraid that somebody's going to just totally be hands off and you're going to write their story. And I don't know it well enough. And so you're afraid, will it be accurate? Will I really capture their voice? And I was fortunate enough to always have people who were really involved in the process. 
Well, I can see with all three of those individuals, it would seem like a fun, exciting project to be a part of. Now I'm going to come back because you asked about the lessons that you have learned from them. I want to know about those as well. What are some of the things you've taken away by getting to work with these guys? You know, with Tony, one of the things I, I learned was that he actually was, and this will surprise people who haven't read the book or think they know Tony, which I thought I did, and his stoic demeanor on the sideline and the like, but he was actually ejected from at least one high school basketball game for getting too excited and upset over a call. And his dad was a professor, scientist, and his dad took him aside after the game and said, okay, that was all well and good, but what did you do to help your team at that moment? You got upset and then you're not even on the bench, you're in the locker room. How did you help your team at that moment? And so Tony's dad would always say to him, what are you going to do to make the situation better? And so Tony gets fired from the Bucks. I spend two more years there. And by the time we're working on the book, I'm asking Tony, how'd you get over the bitterness? How'd you get And Tony's like, why would I have been bitter? Here's the situation. Now, what do I do to make it better? And so it was interesting that it helped me personally get over my bitterness at Tony being fired or some of the other things that I was going through to have him say that. With Tim, unrelenting, unrelenting work ethic, really an interesting guy to be around. And so he was often, we'd be going over the book or doing whatever, and he'd be doing curls or push-ups or something. Or then when we'd stop and take a break, we were playing with Nerf balls and throwing them at each other with he and his brothers or something. It was always full speed all the time with Tim. And also very sensitive. And really, it mattered to him what people thought and how they were receiving what he was saying. And he just really wanted to say things in a way that people appreciated and just very kind. So those are a couple of lessons learned. I did. I have not done a book, unfortunately, with Steve Spurrier. He was my college football coach and he now lives in Gainesville where I am. And so I run into Coach Spurrier all the time. But I'll throw in one more lesson that I got from Coach Spurrier. And that was that we're going to play like we practice. And so Coach Spurrier was always about doing the little things and doing them well on Tuesday, on Wednesday, when it was boring, when nobody was watching, because you weren't going to flip a switch on Saturday and somehow play better than you had actually been practicing. And so as a writer and being alone and all, I try to remind myself that, okay, look, this is boring and this feels mundane and I'm alone at my desk and I'm having to get words out or getting ready for a talk that I'm going to be giving or whatever, but I need to prepare during the week and not just get up during when I'm giving the talk and have the adrenaline flow and think that everything's going to come to me. It's very true. I mean, you do perform how you practice. And so on game day, to your point, it's not just about, okay, I'm going to show up and just outperform everybody. No, like you have to practice the way that you want to perform or it's not going to happen. I mean, that's true on the football field or in business and in life. And so I think it's such an important lesson that a lot of people don't really appreciate that importance of practicing and preparation so that when it is your moment to shine, you are shining. Yes, exactly. Totally right, Jen. So you do a lot of corporate talks, like I mentioned earlier. Both you and I use a lot of sports references in our delivery and connecting and giving tips to the audience. Let's peel that back a little bit. What are some of the things that you like to talk about? I mean, I know you've got a number of different topics that a client can say, hey, we want to focus on this specific topic or a different one. But like, give us a few nuggets of what you talk about. I often speak on team building, on leadership, on living a life of significance. Those are kind of Three of the things I keep coming back to, also resilience has become a topic that more and more in the last three years, people are requesting. I spoke actually in Thailand last year at an educational conference, then spoke at a school. And one of the things I was talking to the parents about, I gave a talk to the students, I gave a talk to the coaches, then I spoke to the parents. And one of the things I was telling the parents was that so many of the lessons I learned in life came from sports. 
and I've applied them everywhere but sports. I mean, I'm not involved in sports anymore other than as a fan and, and watching or as a player. And so I learned these things from those moments, and yet I'm able to apply them, whether it's how to handle adversity, how to handle failure, what to do when you're winning, what to do when everything's going right, how to work well with a team, how to own your role when you don't want to own it, when it's a lousy role, when this is not the job I want for the rest of my life or the position I want for the rest of my life. That's okay. I need to be good at it right now to help my organization. I find it useful to remind myself and then sometimes others that a lot of these sports analogies or sports stories really ultimately have nothing to do with sports. They have to do with life and the human condition and what we're going to do with it. I like that you talk about owning your role because I feel like there are so many people that they get in a job and they're like, oh, this sucks. This wasn't what I thought or it's kind of gone in a different direction. The scope might've changed because of business conditions or whatever. And instead of embracing that and looking at how can I improve, how can I make this organization better because of my time in here, they're just focused on that victim mentality, right? And feeling sorry for themselves instead of looking at how do you spin this into a positive? I mean, for me, people know that listen to the show that I was in Fortune 50 companies climb the corporate ladder early in my career, but it was really about that owning the role, no matter what position I was in. And yes, there were some that were a lot more challenging from a people management standpoint and a leadership standpoint versus a technical or job function scope standpoint. But it was really about embracing that and saying, okay, I'm owning this. I'm going to figure out how to excel at this so that I can prepare myself for that next role. And something that I talk about a lot is this pie model. It's about performance image exposure. And so it's not just about how you're performing, but it's about your brand and how people, what they think of you. And then the exposure, who knows about you. And when you are proving yourself to be a value-added team member, more people tend to take notice and that could lead to opportunities. So I really like that owning your role piece that you talk about because it's so important. And one of the things after I spoke one time, I had a coach come up to me afterwards and he said, you know, I've been telling my team to accept the role. And he said, but I really like the word own because acceptance almost has a grudging, okay, fine, versus owning. And my first year with the Jaguars, I had been at a law firm had a chance to break into sports. And so I took the job and they said, great, we're going to have you do salary cap work, contract negotiations later. Right now, we need somebody to handle team travel. And so we need you to do that for this season. And so I'm standing on the curb at 6.30 in the morning in the dark outside a hotel in Cincinnati, waiting for buses to show up. And meanwhile, my classmates are working for the antitrust division of the Justice Department in DC. And I'm thinking, holy cow, what? I'm checking to make sure five buses show up at but the reality was I had a player tease me one time that he's like, you went to Harvard Law School and you have to check to make sure there's strawberry ice cream on the buffet. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, you've pretty much captured my career trajectory. And we needed somebody to do it and do it right. And so it wasn't where I was hoping to finish. And if I had spent 30 years there, there are worse ways to spend your life. I don't want anybody to get rid of me because they don't want me there. I want them to move me along because I've done what they asked. And so I worked to try to own it. It's owning your role in a different way because I made the decision to leave corporate three and a half years ago. So say goodbye, Fortune 50. It's time to be an entrepreneur. Very different. And I remember a friend of mine saying, Jen, you went to school for all this time, these seven degrees, and you've done all these big things. He's like, is that all for nothing then since you're going to go work on your own business? And I'm like, no, absolutely not. I don't view it as I'm doing something different. And I spent all this other time on things that might, some might pertain to what I'm doing now, some don't, but it's again, owning the role and figuring out how do you leverage that 
And then just showing out and showing up and doing the things that you need to so that you can bring value in whatever position it is you're in now, whether you're working for someone or you're working for yourself. Absolutely. I'm totally in agreement. You're probably overqualified for what you do, but at the same time, overqualified just just means you've got things you might not lean on today, but it's all background that you might use at some point. I'm sure as you were in that role or dating travel, I mean, people knew of your experience. You could bring value-added discussions to other conversations, and that might not have been your role, but you're still contributing and adding more value to the team so that you can continue to navigate into a different spot when there's a, an opportunity available. Totally. Hopefully, I brought some value in some other areas, but yes, that's at least the hope. I get a lot of people that reach out and they're interested in navigating a sports career in some fashion. Some are already in the business. And so they're trying to continue to advance and others are thinking about kind of pivoting and getting into that space. So as you look back on your career, what are some of the things that you felt you did right, aside from owning your role and bringing value? What things do you think you did to help you, but also to separate and differentiate you from other people? Because I mean, sports, as you know, is very competitive and trying to get those jobs. There's only a finite amount of those and so many people that are trying to get into them. My boss in Tampa, our general manager is Rich McKay, who's now the president of the Atlanta Falcons. Rich had a spiel, if you will, that he would give people who would ask about getting into sports. And he would say, you know, look, this is not glamorous. Whatever you think it is from the outside is not what it is on the inside. Now, having said that, he, of course, made a whole lifetime of working in sports. But it wasn't, right? There were times when I was driving a van full of guys that we had cut to the airport to drop them off and just somebody needed to do it. And I was closest there and they threw me the keys. And so I'm driving and And so there's just a lot of things that come up that you just don't ever think through. And you think, oh my gosh, it'd be great. I'll roll into the games. I see what they do on draft day. I'm sitting there. And and so you assume that there's some level of glamour. One of the things I I really enjoyed being with teams, but I also think that burned me out so that when I was done, I was done. The idea of working Thanksgiving, working Christmas, you know, one year with the Jaguars, I didn't take one day off from when training camp started in July to when we lost in the AFC championship game at the end of January. So every single day I was either on the road or in my office or whatever. And we had a young child. So there was never like a moment when I was just home for a day. And that got to be hard. And one of the things looking back that I might have considered is to look at some of the league or conference offices. I didn't explore that at all. I thought I want to be in sports. I love sports. I want to be around it. So I just was peppering the teams trying to get in. But whether it's the NCAA or some of these other offices, they provide a chance to meet a lot of people. We had people who worked at the NFL office that we would have to correspond with, call to get salary cap information or player personnel rules or go over something again. And so there were people up there that we would talk to. And so they were meeting 32 of us and meeting us in all these different cities. And a number of them then eventually figured out what team do I want to work for, what I want to do. And they were able to make a more formed decision than they might have been just sending out resumes and hoping for an opening. The other thing that I never thought about that might've been interesting is that there are these kind of jobs that are somewhat tangential to sports, whether it's working for Nike or working for PGA Tour sponsors or some of these other things where you can be in and around sports without necessarily being immersed in it. And so you might be in the business office or something else of one of these other corporations that does things with sports. And, And I sometimes wonder looking back if it hadn't been 365 days or however many it was, you know, we would get three weeks off in June. So you'd have that, but 11 point whatever months of working a lot for 17 Sundays and with a young family. And I finally was like, okay, maybe I could have done this differently. 
For sure. And one of the things that I talk with people about is networking. I mean, it's very important to just build relationships, cultivate those. And when there is a time and place for them to make a connection and introduction, or if there's an opportunity that they know of, they can help you pursue that or explore that. For there any tips there on the networking side, like what people should be thinking about who they should be networking with just to start like letting people know who they are and what they're interested in? Well, I think whenever there's some sort of natural connection, that's great to take advantage of it. I do think that it's worth trying to figure out, and it's not always easy when you're a young person, but trying to figure out where you can add value so that it's not just, I'm trying to meet you so that you know my name later, and that it's actually some sort of relationship, if you will, even if it's something small, but just something where it's not necessarily that you're just kind of peppering them with. I've got some people who do that. Every two weeks, I get an email, you know, hey, have you heard of anything yet? Hey, have you, and I don't really know this person. And so I'm, you know, I'm not really looking very hard. And when something comes up, it's hard to recommend somebody you don't know. So I, I'll call a good friend who's with a team and say, hey, I've gotten 85 emails. They're very eager. I don't know if you can trust them. I don't know if they're going to do a good job, but I know they're eager. So I'll send you the resume. So to the extent that you can make any sort of connection. And so if there are anything like for me being an attorney, the Sports Lawyers Association had a meeting once a year. A lot of law students came to it, a lot of folks who were not in the industry and just had a chance to mingle and meet with folks. And if there are situations where you can meet and mingle and build any sort of relationship, I think there's some value to that. And you bring up a great point about it's not just about, hey, connecting with someone because I'm looking for a job, help me, because why would I put my name out as someone who is respected in industry for someone that I don't know, right? So it's really about just cultivating, building those relationships. So when I first published Move the Ball, I didn't know anybody in professional football and college football. I had no connections and it took a lot of time just building relationships, physically going to organizations and events where I could connect with people using tools like LinkedIn or Instagram or Twitter, whatever it was to strike up a conversation. But it wasn't about, hey, I need you to help me do X, Y, Z. It was just about connecting with someone just to have a conversation. And then over time, you just stay in touch with them. If someone had a daughter that was graduating, like I would remember things about People, this also helped me through law school was I have a pretty close to photographic memory. So I would remember details that people would tell me. And so I would then text them to say, hey, you know, hope your daughter's doing great. Congratulations on her graduation or whatever. Had nothing to do with me. It had everything to do with that person, right? And just making them feel like that you valued their relationship and we're just reaching out for that purpose. And so that's one thing that I feel like a lot of people lose sight of. Like, it's not just about you. It's about building good connections. Totally right. And not just about a stack of business cards at the end of the day where you're like, I think I met this person wherever. And that's what they're thinking too, right? When you call them, they're like, I guess I met this person. I don't remember them. To the extent you can make connections and build relationships, it, it just makes such a difference. So you were with the Tampa Bay Bucks when they won their Super Bowl and being a part of a world-class organization, when you look at that season, what are some of the things that you think they were doing right? I mean, obviously you have to have talented guys, but as you know, there are lots of talented players across the league. It is not just that. So what are some of the things that you think really attributed to the success of the organization and made them world-class? One is that we had one of the best defenses ever, right? In NFL history, those 2002 Tampa Bay Bucks with Warren Sapp and Derek Brooks and, and some of the other players, just amazing talent on defense. Monty Kiffin was our defensive coordinator. He's a legend. And so we had great talent there. Tony had just left. John Gruden had come in. And one of the really interesting things that Coach Gruden did was that he was heading up the offense by and large, in addition to being the head coach. And he and Monty would make every practice as competitive as possible. 
and not necessarily from a standpoint of anything that that was formally scripted. They would both run out the door and Monty would be exhorting his defense every day. And Gruden was like, hey, we're going to move the ball against these guys. They think they're the best in the world and we're going to move. And on the flip side, Monty's saying, hey, these guys are not going to move it an inch. And so our practices were incredibly spirited. Getting back to the coach Furrier, you're going to play like you practice. It was really interesting the way they almost, you know, the way Duolingo and some of these other things gamify what you're doing, right? They take something and they make it fun so that you want to really spend a lot more time learning a language or whatever it may be. They almost gamified practice by every day it was going to be this approach. And so I think that really sharpened both units in a way that I just had not seen on some other teams where professionals going about their business, doing what they were supposed to do. But there was quite an energy that particular season. And it's funny, it was hard to maintain the next season, even though we were trying to do everything to, to maintain it. It was, it was almost, it was an energy that that was kind of unparalleled just in that one in that one season for me out of the six in the NFL. And the NFL or professional sports is a little different than corporate America in the sense that you might have more turnover of assets, whether it's players or even leadership, right? I mean, people move around. So culturally, how would you say that the culture within the front office and a professional football organization is different than, say, a Fortune 500 or a Fortune 1000 company? It's different in some ways in the setting that you're in. But I think a lot of the core principles are the same in that you're going to have a culture and it's either going to be something you are conscious about and work on daily, or it's going to be what you default to by not paying attention to it. And so you'll have a culture. And so I was on teams where you're not sure that they gave a whole lot of thought to it and they thought it was coming across and here's what we're going to be as a team and we're going to do this and this and this. But you realize that kind of, I'm not sure that this is trickling down, that everybody realizes what some of the core values are. And they just are like, okay, I need to show up at X time. And then at Y time, we're going to on the field. And then it, whereas others where, you know, Tony first practice training camp, he'd start off by saying, hey, we're a family and we're going to do things with that in mind. We're going to treat each other that way. I want you to take your responsibilities at home. And we're going to do things with that in mind. And so that filtered down to everything we did where you treated the guy in the locker next to you the way you would treat, you didn't have to love them. It could be the uncle that kind of drove you crazy, but they were a part of your family. And so we were going to treat each other in a certain way. And so it was interesting to watch that and to see, okay, this is really actually something that they're striving to have filter into every area of what we do versus, hey, we're just going to get together. We're going to go to some meetings, watch some film, go out on the field, because you're going to have a culture there too, whether you're working on it or not. And that's what I think we see in corporate America where if we have a vision, if we have something we're striving for, and we keep putting it out there and, hey, these are the things that we're going to do to reinforce that. Now we've got a culture that we're working on. You know, everybody pays attention once a quarter to the profits and losses, or did I hit my numbers? And well, there's a culture that's growing within that, whether we pay attention to it or not. And it may not be a healthy one that we want. So you've been doing the speaking for a while now. What made you think about getting into this space? Like, was there a moment that was like, you know what, I think this is going to be the next chapter and what I want to do or walk us through that? Yeah, it started actually in college. Nobody wanted to speak one time. The Duke football team needed to have somebody go up and Coach Burr is like, what, you can do this. So I went up and spoke and thought, okay, this isn't that hard. And then when I was with the Jaguars and the Bucks, there were times when they sent me out in the community to speak at a Rotary Club or a Kiwanis Club or do something on, a, on the civic side of things. And then when the books started coming out, I started getting inquiries from people who, hey, I'd love to have Tony or Tim come in, but I just got their pricing and maybe you could 
talk on these same principles. And so I certainly am a cut rate Tony Dungy or Tim Tebow, <laughs> but it was really fun. And I really enjoyed getting in there and speaking and having a chance to share these things, talk about what it means to fail, what it means to succeed, what it means to impact somebody's life and to talk about these different things and to have a corporate audience or a team or whatever it may be attentive and following up and then texting you afterwards or emailing to say, hey, I wanted to ask a follow-up question about X, Y, and Z. And you think, you know, there's real value in this. And I really enjoyed that. I love book writing and all that, but a lot of times there's no give and take, right? You write the book, it's done, it's out there. And maybe you get an email from somebody saying, hey, I really like that book. But in my case, often those emails go to Tim or or Tony or whatever, and and that totally makes sense. But the speaking was really a chance to engage with people directly. And, and I really like that. And it's nice to see when the light goes off for people or they're connecting the dots when you're speaking to them about these different things that are all important topics to help them to keep the ball moving and hopefully dominate the game as well. So what I want to do now is I want to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to have some fun with my two-minute drill. We'll be right back. Hey, have you moved the ball in your own life today? If you're working toward your dream job, a new personal record, or a bigger salary, you need a plan to consistently make progress. That's why I wrote Move the Ball and Dominate the Game. These books are packed with strategy and easy to implement tips on gaining clarity of your goals, developing your own personalized playbook for success, pushing your boundaries of comfortability, and really elevating and dominating. Go to www.dominateandmove.com and enter code DOMINATE2023 for a 20% discount on the bundle. And all books are signed copies as well. Now, let's get back to the show. All right, we are back and we're going to have some fun. Are you ready? I think so. First question is, what three words would you use to describe yourself? Creative, sensitive, or empathetic. And then... I'm fairly quick on my feet. Next question is, what is one thing that most people don't know about you? Most people don't know that I played two sports in college. I certainly don't have the build for it. If you saw me in person, you'd never know. But I was recruited to play both baseball and football, mostly Ivy Leagues, but had a chance to play both at Duke. Well, Duke is a great school to be great network, great education, lots of great reasons to be. I am a big Coach K fan, bummed that he's no longer coaching, but he's definitely put in a lot of work over the years. And so he's had a great career. So uh, growing up, I was definitely a Duke basketball fan. Next question is, would you rather be the world champion of your sport or the CEO of a billion dollar company and why? I think I would rather be the world champion in a sport. And that is kind of what I've been able to do so far, even though I'm not very high profile, I love the chance to then get out and interact with people. And so I'm sure I could do that as the CEO of a huge company as well. But I love the idea of being able to then go and speak or go interact with folks or get called in to do other things. And so I think if I was actually the world champion of whatever, then I'd even have more of those opportunities. Next question is, what book are you currently reading or what podcast are you currently listening to? So the book I am currently reading, I actually happen to have right next to me. It's Daniel Pink's The Power of Regret. He wrote it several years ago. He's done other books, Drive, and some other things about motivation. And and this is really interesting because he talks about being able to take some of these negative things and these negative emotions that we don't enjoy and being able to kind of not dwell on them, but at least think about them a little bit and dig in and figure out a way to make yourself better and not be captive by the past. So the next question is, if you could have any song played at all of your public appearances, what would that one song be? So I think I would pick All For You by Sister Hazel. They're a Gainesville band. I know I should probably pick something by Tom Petty, but they're good friends of mine. Plus the All For You theme is just so 
great with team building and pulling for each other. So anyway, that would be my song. Okay, it's a great choice. Next question is, what would your next career move be if you were guaranteed to succeed? I would write fiction. Oh. I, I read almost exclusively fiction. I love mysteries, love thrillers. Well, yeah, and writing a fiction book is very different than writing in the personal development or leadership or motivational genre. And it takes a very special skill set to write well with like the descriptive language you have to have to really paint the scenes and think through the characters. I was in a writing workshop before I wrote Move the Ball and I learned about all this stuff and I was like, oh, wow, there's a lot of work that goes into a lot of thought and deliberation and great word choices. So yeah, I mean, it's definitely a skill. All right. The next question is you have 24 hours and a private plane that will take you anywhere. Where are you going? So I'm going to take my wife to Amsterdam. She grew up in the Netherlands, moved back when she was five, and she's wanted to go back ever since. We went to the Far East last year to Thailand for a speaking engagement, but I realized I can't get there and back in 24 hours. So I'm going to do Amsterdam. <laughs> Yes, yes. Thailand is, a, is quite a journey away. It's a great place to go, but it does consume a lot of time, more than those 24 hours for sure. All right. The bonus question is M&M's, plain or peanut? Peanut. Not even close. All right. So as we look to close the show, let people know, Nathan, where are you at on social media, your website, where can people follow you and continue to connect with you? My website, my wife calls it my shrine to me, NathanWhitaker.com. I'm at Twitter at Nathan Whitaker. You can find me those places. I'm also LinkedIn, YouTube. Again, search for Nathan Whitaker and I'll pop up eventually. Okay, perfect. We will have all of those links in our show notes so people can connect with you, keep up with you and see all the great things that you are doing. Any last thoughts as we look to close our show? I would just encourage people. We talk about it being darkest before the dawn. And a lot of times in life, you can't see when the dawn is coming. And so it gets really hard. And to just hang in there and keep pushing ahead and just keep fighting through. Great final thoughts. Well, Nathan, thank you so much for being on today's show. It has been so great chatting with you. Thanks, Jen. I appreciate the chance to be with you. And thanks to everyone for listening to today's episode. If you like today's show and you haven't already done so, make sure you hit that follow button so that you never miss a future episode and also share the show with some friends too. It's one way that you can help me to move the ball. All right, everyone. Thanks again for listening and we will catch you next time. Until then, make sure that you suit up, you show up, and you move the ball. Thanks for listening to Move the Ball, everybody. If you are inspired by this episode, can you do me a favor and let me know? Go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. And also, share the show with a few friends, too. Next, I want you to go to GetInsideTheHuddle.com and join our email list. This will give you priority access to tips and strategies that will help you get more done today. Not tomorrow, not next week, today. You got that? Okay. Until next time.